Well, good morning. My name is Alec Alvarado, and I am the youth pastor here at Kenny Hills Friends Church, and we are excited that you are here. Yeah, all right. What's up, my crew back there? Hello. Um, but like um, Matt mentioned earlier that we are in a three-part series called Superfan, and today is our last sermon in this topic. And we've been kind of looking at from the Bible and the perspective of all the early church followers of what it is to be a super fan of Jesus Christ. One week we talked about video games, and that was Matt's week. He killed it. Um, another week we talked about what it is to be a big super fan of sports. And today we're talking about, obviously, a super fan of Disneyland. But today's sermon is going to be geared, I think, in a way that you weren't expected. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I, I was given uh, by David the theme of Disneyland. He was all geeking out about it, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. And then I'm a huge fan. I'm like, all right, cool. And then I read the verse that was given to me, and I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of hard to connect it to because Disneyland is like joyful, happy, and this verse we're going to be going through is a little bit challenging. So we'll be in the book of Acts chapter 18, going through verses 1 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible, we have up here on the screens, but if you can take a moment right now to turn to Acts chapter 18, verse 1. So here we go. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into the court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matters yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Galileo showed no concern whatsoever." So you pick up the story with this guy named Paul, and if you haven't been here these past three weeks, or maybe not in all this, you know, couple months, this guy Paul was on fire for Jesus Christ. Everything that he did was centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every mission he went on, every conversation that he had was focused around Jesus. So this is why we come up with this theme of superfan. Could we look at Paul's life and just see how devoted he is to the mission that Jesus has called him to? And I'll give you a little bit of background on Paul. If you didn't know Paul, before he became a Christian, he was this guy named Saul. And he was a very, very terrible dude. What he did is he went from city to city persecuting Christians, families. He would get them and throw them in prison. Some of them were executed. And he would stand there and give approval of all these things that were happening to the early church. 
But then Jesus Christ came into his life and said, hey, Saul, you're not going to be living this life anymore. I know you had a plan. I know you had a way that you wanted to live prior to what I have for you. But now that you're on my team, this is the direction you're going. So immediately we see Paul become a super fan of Jesus and say, all right, I'm all in. I'm all for this plan that you have for me. And this is where we pick up this series. Is we look at his life and saying, how can we become a super fan of Jesus? And what does a super fan look like for a Christian in 2019? And when we see Paul's life, we see him being obedient to the call that Jesus Christ has for his life. And it may be a little confusing at times because when we think of obedience or when we think of following something God has called us to, we normally think, hey, we're going to be blessed Things are going to go correct for us. We're going to have no harm. Everything is going to be great. I'm going to be super successful. Everything is going to go my way. But when we look at Paul's life, what do we see? We see persecution. We see him being threatened to be thrown in prison. We even see that his life was threatened by people. And this might be a little confusing at times because when we think of obedience, sometimes we think that things are supposed to go well. And this kind of reminds me of um, my youth ministry. A lot of uh, youth ministry is looking at the student's life and saying, hey, this is the way you're living, and this is the way Jesus has called us to live. We need to change some sort of behaviors to become a Christ follower. And a lot of guys in my ministry, what they um, tend to struggle with is picking their nose, okay? So they'll be in youth group, right? And they're having a good time sitting around, playing ping pong, doing all the great things. And I'll look over and I'll see like one of the boys just like going at it. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know? And uh, all the students don't think your parents don't pick your nose. We just do it when we're driving down the 91. But um, we see the students and I'm like, oh, dude, like you're picking your nose. And the girl in that youth ministry who they think is cute will look at him and be like, ew. And the boy will notice and they go, oh, I shouldn't probably be picking my nose. So what we think of, that's a negative behavior, correct? And then the boys recognize that the girls, uh, to that behavior, there's a negative response. So in their minds, they go, okay, if I pick my nose, that girl I like is going to think I'm a gross dude and is never going to like me. So I need to change my behavior. So when we come to Scripture, right, and we say, hey, if I'm living out this plan that God has for me, and why am I seeing persecution? Does that mean I need to change my behavior? Does that mean I shouldn't talk about Jesus to to my coworkers? Does that mean I shouldn't share Jesus with the guys on my baseball team? Should I not, when I'm around my girlfriends and hang out with them, should I not be talking about Jesus? Because when I do, I receive a negative reaction. Because I thought following Jesus was all about joy, peace, and comfort. But that's not what we see here in this example. What we see is that a Christian lifestyle brings persecution. A Christian lifestyle brings persecution. So here's the thing. So when Paul understands um, Jesus Christ and this mission that he has for him, what he's doing is when he accepts that call that Jesus has for him, he's looking at two things here. He's looking at, one, the kingdom of earth that exists here on this planet, and two, the kingdom of heaven. And there's a big, big difference between the two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, what it focuses on is on ourself. That everything that we do here, all the time we spent, all the energy that we spent, all our finances that you and I spend, is focused around ourself. 
that we go to college and we look to get a hopefully a great career after college and make a lot of money. And then we start a family and our family's super great and our kids are earning straight A's and they're involved in all the sports and they're in all the clubs. And then we upgrade our house and our house is huge, our house is great and everything is fantastic. This life is all around me. That's what the kingdom of earth is telling us. But then when we look at the kingdom of heaven, it is so different. It's focused about being selfless, focused around serving other people. It's focused on loving others when they don't deserve it. It's focused on sacrifice. Because our role model for living in this new kingdom that's different than this earthly kingdom is Jesus Christ. And in what do we see his life made up? Sacrifice, love, service, obedience. And sometimes we get caught up in this, this earthly kingdom, right? There are a lot of responsibilities we have. We have families we need to take care of. There's bills to pay. There's a lot of things that we have to take responsibility for on this earth, but sometimes we forget that we're living in this kingdom. And Paul was really good at recognizing this. He saw the two kingdoms and he goes, no, I'm not going to accept this one. I'm going to accept the one that Jesus has for me, and I'm going to live in it. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 real quick. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. But the Jews, well, oh, sorry, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest. So here, Paul's saying, okay, I recognize the comfort that this earth has for me, but I reject it and say, I'm going to live in this kingdom. And he goes out and immediately he receives persecution. And that's going to be similar to our lifestyle if we follow Paul's example. If we understand that we have to reject what this world has to offer and accept what Christ offers, this is similar to what our life should look like. Because one thing about the gospel is that it's offensive. The gospel in itself is offensive because what it does is it comes into our life and it examines every part of our life and says, hey, you're not the best person. You're not perfect. You are flawed. You are broken and you need saving. That's an offensive message. If this is your first time here at church and you're hearing this, you're saying, wow, that is pretty offensive because I thought I was a good person. But when we look at scripture, that's not what Jesus tells us. The gospel is very offensive. But then there's a response that we have to take, right? There's either a response of saying, I don't like that because I think I'm a good person. I think I could earn my way to heaven, so I'm going to reject that. Or the other is, you know what? I am a little messed up in my core. There, there are some things that need to change in my life. Maybe I should follow this. And of course, you and I, when we go around talking about this message, there are going to be some people that are going to persecute you. And it may not look similar to this where people might abuse you, but it may look to people rejecting your friendship. It may look at people in the office when you walk by, they kind of snark at you and say, oh, there's that Christian Jesus freak person, right? That's some of the persecution you and I have in 2019 as Christians. That not everybody is going to accept this message that they need a savior, that they need saving. And sometimes persecution is going to come our way. But if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think a lot of us live in a lifestyle that brings persecution like Paul. I don't think if we honestly examine 
our life and every area that we're involved in, do we rarely face this type of persecution? I think that we enjoy comfort. What I want to think about is that interview with Scott, when I was, like I said earlier, I was, you know, preparing for this message, and, you know, I was like, all right, you know, I'm ready to receive um, this super fan that's going to kind of line up with this sermon, and I look at the sermon, I'm like, or the uh, Bible, and I'm like, okay, it's talking about persecution, it's talking about trying to go through a tough time and, and keep going, and then David's like, hey, Alec, you're going to talk about Disneyland. I'm like, the happiest place on earth, and somehow, David, you want me to make a connection to persecution? Now I know why you're not here, David. Thanks. <laughs> But I was, as I was praying through this and trying to prepare, I said, all right, God, how, how are you going to lead me in the direction to where I could connect the two points? And when I started reading through persecution, I started to examine my own life and say, man, e- even as a pastor, I don't know if I can really connect myself to Paul's type of lifestyle to where I'm facing persecution. Oh, wait a minute, God. It, am I living a Christian faith that is like Disneyland? where there's not much sacrifice when it comes to Disneyland. There is a financial cost. If you're trying to go there, you know, on a Saturday morning and you are trying to go, you're going to at least spend $120 on a ticket, right? But if you have a family, you need to get a loan to go to Disneyland, right? Because it's so expensive. But if you're that person that has an annual pass and you are a fan of Disneyland, you love going, you go there on dates and all those things, right? You have to have a greater sacrifice because every single month you have to say, all right, I need to make sure there's X amount of money in my bank account to be able to pay for this pass. And if you have a family, there goes your retirement fund, right? Disneyland has a financial sacrifice when it comes to it. But when we get into Disneyland, it is fantastic, right? All the sorrows of life are left behind. Work is off your mind. All the responsibilities seem to disappear, and you're having a great time. You feel like a kid again, and you're finally smiling for the first time that month, and your kids aren't crying. You're like, praise God. Like, they're not running around being crazy, and everyone's having a blast. Everyone's having a good time. And then to top it off, the air, it smells like pastries. And then there's a delicious bakery you can go to and get the best croissant you've ever had in your life. That is Disneyland. It's safe. It's comfortable. It is a great time. And I think sometimes what you and I like to do is we like to have our Christian faith similar to Disneyland. Is we like to put ourselves in bubbles that are safe, that are comfortable, to where there's not much persecution going on in our life as a Christian in 2019. There are some sacrifices, though. If we come here, we have to sacrifice an hour, an hour and a half of, you know, to wake up early, to get ready, to get our hair done, to grab our coffee, and we still come 10 minutes late, right? Or maybe if we're a member that, you know, this is our home, we call this place, this is, you know, Kenny Hills Friends Church is my home, this is the place I'm going to attend, then there's tithing you do maybe every week or every month, and that's a bit of a sacrifice, because you're giving the first fruits of what you earn to God, and then if you take it a step above, maybe you're serving some, in some sort of ministry, and you say, all right, maybe if I serve at the 9 o'clock service, I can attend the 1045. So that's about three hours you have to sacrifice, but sometimes outside of those three things, we don't see much sacrifice in our life. We don't see much persecution. And it begins to be this faith that's kind of like a Disneyland-style faith. is when we're safe, we're comfortable, we know what to expect. We know what's going to happen in our faith because 
we're stuck at Disneyland, but how often do we step out of that bubble and say, you know what? I'm going to follow Paul's example to where I'm going to go into my workplace and preach the gospel. I'm going to go live my life like Jesus Christ, and people will notice that, and they might think I'm a little bit weird. When are we going to make that move out from Disneyland to a Paul-like faith? Let's look at verse 9 and 10. Because sometimes when we receive that persecution, we think it's a little weird, right? This isn't something I think or I desire to be a product of my Christian lifestyle. But this is God's response when he sees Paul being um, you know, threatened with abuse from these people. This is what God's response to it. He says this, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. We don't see God approach Paul and say, Hey, Paul, I, I want you to live in, in this place, in the Disneyland Christian lifestyle, where it's safe. I don't want you to get persecuted, Paul. I don't want people to dislike you. I don't want people to threaten you. I want you to be safe. I want you to be comfortable. We don't see God say that in this passage. He says, hey, Paul, I understand you're being persecuted. And I get it's tough for you. It's hard for you because you're devoting yourself to the call, to my mission. I see you being obedient, Paul. I want you to keep going. Don't fear. Don't be silent. Keep on going. And that's the response you and I are going to get when we receive persecution. God's not going to want us to say, oh, shelter yourself. Avoid persecution. But no, God affirms it and says, hey, I'm proud of you. You're being obedient. Keep on going. And I think that's what Paul understood, is that he understood that no matter what he was going to face, no matter what kind of persecution people were going to throw at him, no matter what type of threats people may say, that God is going to be there in the midst of that, that he has Paul's back, that he can keep going when it's hardest, because that was the call that Jesus had for Paul's life. But I think there was something else that Paul understood that I think is a little bit greater than that. Because like I mentioned earlier, persecution is hard. It's not the easiest thing to go through. When you're trying your best to live the life that God has called you to, and you're being obedient, and you're sticking in it, and you're being faithful in every single area of your life, and you receive that persecution, it could be very tough. It could be discouraging. But I think what Paul understood is that he needed to be mission-focused. And I think we need to be mission-focused. Someone who is mission-focused devotes their entire life to whatever that mission is to see it filled out. The best example I can come up with is Kobe Bryant. Wow, no, wow. Oh, okay. Whew, I must be talking to some Clipper fans in here. But if you don't know Kobe Bryant, uh, he was a guy that understood his calling was to play basketball. What did he do? Every single moment that he had here on, or in his career, what did he do? He said, I'm going to devote every second to this mission of becoming the best basketball player of all time. So how did he do that? Dedication. He was there at practice. He practiced hard. He went into the game. He would score 81 points, doing crazy big things. But then after those two things were done, what did he do? He would be shooting, and then after the game, he'd be shooting in the gym till 2 in the morning, practicing his craft, doing dribbles, doing shots, doing all the things that made his mission come so successful that he's on the uh, top three in the all-time scoring list in the NBA. What he understood is that, hey, if I want to reach this goal, whatever his goal was personally for himself, if I want to reach this, what do I need to do? 
And he would step back and look at, these are all the things I need to do to be able to reach that mission, to be able to reach that goal. And he did it. Same thing with you and I. It's if we truly reject the kingdom of the earth and everything that it has for us and say, no, I'm going to accept what Jesus Christ calls to me. I want to be all about this mission. I want my entire life to follow this. Then what do I need to do? We examine scripture. What do I need to be doing, Jesus, to be able to fulfill this mission, this calling that you have over my life? What does that look like? That's what you and I need to do. It's because if we're focused on this earthly mission of becoming super successful, living life for ourselves, everything is about me, then guess what happens when persecution comes? We're going to be like, ooh, I don't want to do that because I don't like that. I, I don't want that negative response. So instead of digging in deep and being mission-focused on the kingdom, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to stick to just coming to church, tithing and serving, but outside of Sundays, no, I don't want that. But if we are mission-focused on the kingdom of heaven, what do you and I get to look forward to? Eternity. This kingdom on earth is all focused around temporal things. Around 80 years, 75 years of life is focused around us. But we have eternity if we are mission-minded. And I think you and I can get past persecution. We can accept rejection. We can accept people hating us because our lifestyle is totally different than theirs. Not because we're focused on temporal things, but we're focused on eternal things. That we understand the kingdom that is awaiting for us. We understand how joyful, how fulfilled, how much peace we'll have in our life when we have that moment where we're looking face to face to our Lord and Savior. And then all those things that we've experienced here on earth are going to seem like nothing because we get to spend eternity with the God of the universe. And I think that's what Paul understood. Is he said, you know what? I can be so focused on this earth and how uncomfortable it is to live life as a Christ follower. But I don't want that. Because when I compare 75, 80 years to eternity, it doesn't even matter. I want to be mission-focused. I want to be focused on the kingdom that lasts until eternity. So my challenge to you is how are you and I going to move from a Disneyland faith to a Paul-like faith? How are we going to make that move to where we're comfortable Everything's predictable. We know what we're going to face on the day-to-day to, -day to, man, I don't know if anyone at work's going to like me anymore because I'm talking about Jesus. Because the message is kind of offensive that people are broken and, and we need a Savior. How are you and I going to make that move? Is it maybe actually living like a Christian in our workplace? If we own a business, maybe it's about running our business honestly. Or if we're in our friend group, that maybe there's some people in there that aren't living a Christian life, that we stop acting like them, but start acting like Christ in those circles. If you're in school, how does it look like to be a Christian in my college course, in my high school, or my junior high class? What does that look like? How are we going to make that move from being in a Disneyland faith to a Paul-like faith? And what we're going to be doing in a little bit is we're going to have a response in prayer and some worship. And what I want you to do is during this time is just try to focus on every area of your life. Examine yourself honestly and say, am I really li li living a life 
that's focused around the kingdom of heaven? Am I really living in this life that's mission-focused? Or do I have a faith that's like in Disneyland, to where it only exists one day on the weekend, to where it looks like a little bit of sacrifice, but outside of those things, there's nothing that's really there. So challenge yourself as we go through worship. Ask God to reveal your heart and to be honest with yourselves in every area of your life. What would it look like to be mission-focused? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. And as we come before you, God, we ask that we will have a moment of honest examination over our entire life, God. That sometimes we could be fooled in living in this first kingdom, God. That it's safe, it's comfortable. We know what to expect. But God, outside of those things, there's no persecution whatsoever. So we ask, Father, that you will help us make that transition from a Disneyland type of faith to a faith that's like Paul. To no matter what's at hand, God, no matter what we face, no matter what people may throw in our direction, that we can stand strong in your word. Because we know that eternity is waiting for us, God. And we ask, Lord, when we do face that persecution, you will come in those moments and encourage us because life can be tough. Being a Christian in 2019, Lord, can be a tough thing to do. So we ask, Father, you will meet us in those tough moments. You will meet us in those awkward conversations maybe that we have to have starting Monday at work, God. Whatever that may be, Father, we ask that you will meet us in that, that place and you will help us and encourage us to continue to live a lifestyle that is focused around you. So, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the, these people, God. I thank you for the way that they do this out, God. And we just ask that you continue to encourage us in our weeks. We love you and pray this in your name.